role. And that was a massive slap in the face for me because mm. I'm like, I've worked so hard. I've sacrificed so much to prove what? Because one mm. person's comment just kind of belittles right. that whole respect that say the industry that you're trying to strive for in this industry and then somebody's mm -hmm. comment could knock it down in a second so it's almost like well why why are we doing this why yeah. what was the purpose of that welcome to this episode of the untapped potential podcast with today's guest Tulshi Barsani before we start today's conversation I want to draw your attention to the practitioner needs analysis coaching program the conversations on my research have shown clearly that 160 highly successful practitioners supporting some of the world's greatest athletes have on one level achieved a great deal within high performance sports and academia. Yet on a much more personal level, many are quietly suffering to maintain the perception of being successful and happy. This is the inconvenient truth sitting just under the surface within a high performance environment. The cost of this truth ranges from divorce, absent parent, physical and mental illness, all of which contribute to limiting the performance impact we all strive so hard to achieve. The human element has been forgotten, with many top practitioners now finding ways to leave our beloved industry. My research process has spawned the services I now provide to support performance practitioners. Athletes have a vast array of options within their support network to help them thrive, optimize and activate their full potential. But very little is currently aimed at offering this unique support for performance practitioners. This is where the Practitioner Needs Analysis Coaching Program fills that gap. The Practitioner Needs Analysis allows you to identify what qualities are most important for you to sharpen your role, career and life in your fullest expression. It provides an inner analysis that highlights the components of your life, giving you clarity on what is blocking you, how it's blocking you and what you need to do to release those blocks. This guides you to tailor your goals and actions away from potential burnout, divorce or illness and instead towards one where you thrive as a practitioner and in your personal life. To find out more about the group and one-to-one -one options Men Behind Sport offers, visit www.menbehindsport.com or email me at richard at menbehindsport.com. So today's guest, Tulshi, is a highly experienced coach and has worked for elite organizations such as Hinson Performance, Mercedes AMG Patronus, where she was the first performance manager and coach for the world championship winning Formula One team. Tulshi is the founder of the podcast, Unapologetically You. Tulshi and her co-host, Kelly, discuss their personal experiences regarding exhaustion, stress, and anxiety, and how you can find ways to integrate healthy habits to prevent burnout and build happier, healthy relationships at work and at home. Tulshi has also recently published her first book, Happiness Within, a journey of reflection and self-discovery. And this is why I wanted to get Tulshi on Untapped Potential, another powerful female voice to add a perspective that I don't have with regards to the nuances female coaches experience in elite sport and her wisdom with regards to reflection and self-growth. If you enjoy this episode, please leave a review on iTunes or Spotify platforms. By doing this, you'll actively help in spreading this content to reach practitioners that need it. So you're going to enjoy this podcast. It's very open. It's very diving into Tulshi's experiences. And I'm looking forward to hearing what you think of it. So without delaying any more, here's the conversation with Tulshi. Welcome to this episode. And thank you, Tulshi, for coming on and talking, uh, for just being open to have this conversation. I'm, I'm really excited to, to dive into this. Thank you, Rich, for bringing me on as a guest. This is a complete honor. I'm so privileged to be a part of a guest on your brand new podcast. <laughs> brand new. It's um, 
Yeah, you're the second female voice, um, powerful female voice to, to have on here. And, I, and I'm kind of really excited to dive into to if there are, maybe if we go there, some nuances that the female coach practitioners experience that, that male coaches maybe don't see. But yeah. I suppose the first question that I'm leading with and just, just kind of lay the land really is what were your what were your inner drivers to become a practitioner in elite sport? Just briefly. I think for me, it was more a case of, I don't want to say I fell into it, but I was trying to follow the path of, okay, what's next? So for me, I was very methodical about um, what career I would go into. I actually sat down on my friend's um, living room. I was renting a, a room at the time in Australia. And it was the recession, for those of you, it was 2008. <laughs> it wasn't however many recessions we've had since then. Um, so the 2008 recession, I was a little bit stuck after my degree. And I was like, oh, okay, so what do I want to do? And I actually created the list, okay? So this is me and lists and planning. This is, this is who I am. So I wrote a list of all the things that I enjoyed, all the, all like my hobbies and things like that. And then I also wrote a list about my personality, you know, things about me. And I tried to create, well, I did create a, a, a third list, which amalgamated and included both my personality and my hobbies. And when I came back to the UK, I was basically just looking at how I could have that experience with all these different roles. One of them included, you know, being a loadie. It's like a slang term on an aircraft um, in the RAF. Um, one of them was like a property management. And, and I went through, it was like my own little work experience. I planned which fields I wanted to go to. And the last one that I didn't actually get into was personal training. Cause I was like, well, if I get into the armed forces, I'll, I'll like sideswipe and go into some personal training. And I just thought that that's a great way to go into it. And then my brother, you know how somebody just tells you something obvious and my brother just said, why are you going into something to come out of it with a qualification when you're actually doing that? I, I saw a part-time qualification on the weekends for a level two gym instructor. And I was very curious about it. And again, my auntie was like, you know, you're always in the gym. You're always doing stuff. You're always active. Why don't you get qualified? And at the time she was a yoga uh, teacher, still now in America, she said, why don't you get qualified and get paid to do what you love? And my exact words were, why do I want to get paid to do something I love? Because I thought it was a pie in the sky idea. Like you need to be practical. You need to be logical. You need to have a career that is stable. Like who has the audacity to do stuff that they enjoy? And I think for me, it then followed on to, oh, okay, well, maybe I can pursue this as a career. Maybe this it isn't so outlandish. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I basically got to a sticking point where I was like, okay, well, I've got so far in the fitness industry and I, and I actually got myself to an area manager position, which was incredible, uh, the amount of learning lessons that I've had from that. And then I realized I needed another challenge. And I looked in high performance and I'm looking at rugby, you know, training grounds and warm-ups. And I was getting into rugby at that time and I'm just like, ooh, ooh, biomechanics. Ooh, Physi physiological outputs like what measurements I was like we don't do this in the fitness industry we just shout at people and they just do what we say this is purposeful this is driven this is performance orientated 
And so I pursued my degree in um, a master's in strength and conditioning. And it challenged me so much. I was like, this is this is the bell curve. I'm like, I know nothing right now. So let's just start from the beginning. And I feel like I like those types of things. And I love that the health and wellness industry or even the mm-hmm. fitness and the performance industry is constantly trying to better themselves, just trying to lead with research, but also have that hands-on practical approach on the so, field. So it sounds like, so it sounds like you, I guess everyone I've interviewed so far has come from uh, either being an athlete or some form of athlete and not necessarily at the, at the top level. You've come from a very just in, uh, it's curious and inspired and interested position of the fascination around the, the technical elements of, of, of working in high performance sport. Agree. Agree. And the funny thing is, is I actually remember seeing Michael Schumacher's um, fitness coach on the grid just when I started getting to getting into Formula One. And I thought to myself, I, I want to do that. I actually want to be on the grid and help a driver out, but I kind of just pushed it aside. And it's like with everything, right? You, you're just looking at the next steps rather than looking at the big okay. picture. Okay. And so I guess fast forward, so you've, you know, you obviously went down that path and study and got all the experience and then you, you did get into motorsport, you know, mm. Formula One, Hintzer and, motor, and uh, Formula One. As a practitioner, kind of, you know, for, what did you see, say, before you got that role to then the reality of that role? What kind of, what surprised you about? Um, and maybe you want to mention like obviously the positive and maybe some negatives that you didn't foresee. I feel like, you know how I was saying we're kind of, I was muddling along. And even though I had a plan, it was almost like, well, let's just see what happens. Let's just see what comes up and take those opportunities as they come along. So even though I'm a planner, I was trying to be a little bit more flexible with the flow of life. And I didn't understand what that meant back then. I do now, but I feel like um, it seemed very chaotic So even before when I was trying to, you know, earn a wage for myself, working for myself, getting personal training clients, working with like different sports. And and I felt like I had to take a few steps back, like coming from an area manager manager position and then going back into working for myself. I needed to start from the beginning because strength and conditioning was back at zero. But what I did find between the fitness industry and the strength and conditioning industry is there was way much more camaraderie. There was much more of a community. And I felt like that was missing in the fitness industry or I didn't find it per se, because when I came to the strength and conditioning industry, besides it being male dominated, I felt there were a lot of people who were willing to embrace other coaches who were willing to, uh, there was this, um, and I didn't learn it from anywhere else apart from strength and conditioning is help each other up, right? Yeah, it's like you, somebody will do something for you. And when you get into a position where you can do for others, help them. And that's where I found this sense of community, like joining the UKSEA and being a part of this almost exclusive club. It made me feel like I belonged, but it's also that took a very long time to get there. That took mm. a very long time to, I constantly thought I had to prove myself because I'm a female, because I'm Indian, because, you know, I have little experience. And I remember even somebody telling me, like, take all the fitness 
experience away from your CV because you're not going to be taken seriously in the strength and conditioning world, in the sporting world. So I obviously did that. And I really felt like, you know, I'm starting from the beginning and I was very humbled to go, okay, I've got this experience, but let's just start again. Let's just start from scratch. And I feel like that in a way was a hard lesson. It was a hard climb. But then what I realized is getting into motorsport is it was almost like you would expect high performance to be very organized. (laughs) And what I realized was two weeks before I was supposed to start my job, I didn't have a contract through. And really, if I didn't have a contract through, well, I can't put a down payment on uh, or a a deposit on a rental property because I was like, well, I don't know how long I'm going to stay here. I don't know if this is a legit thing. And it happened so quickly and it happened so suddenly that I'm just thinking, surely this should be a little bit more organized. And then when I got into the role, there were no KPIs. There was no like agenda of what I should be doing. But on the flip side, those are the elements I thrive in. I thrive on creating something from scratch and then not being bounded by rules or, mm-hmm. you know, um, red flags and strings just to go, you know, you need to be in this way. And and it was basically amalgamating my mm-hmm. own philosophy as well as the motorsport performance to enhance the health and wellness of the factory. That's so, uh, yeah, no, I, I guess what's two couple of things stood out to me what you just said. One, the lack of organization for a better word or the chaos, I suppose, of performance sport significantly impacted your your life decisions based around, do I take this rental or not? What is it, what's happening? I'm two weeks about to start and yet I still don't know I have a contract. And I think my point in bringing that up is that that's a common thing I've heard about. And like sport is here and it's put up on this pedestal. And not to knock sport, I, I love sport still, but kind of the chaos, chaos of it affects people's lives so much which i think doesn't get recognized enough and then the second thing you said a little while before that you felt the camaraderie within strength conditioning for example and that's really interesting because for me i'm really good i've got some really wonderful friends in it but i I, in my own skewed lens back then certainly at the beginning i felt and this is my own low opinion of myself my insecurity imposter syndrome i'm going to call it kind of just very i i didn't feel that i felt in competition and i not even competition i felt inferior because i didn't know enough i wasn't working with this or that you know so it was just interesting to hear you say that and i guess my point in bringing that up is i wonder you know the people listening what the dominant is within that um it's just an interesting point. Uh, you know, I, if anyone is listening and want to comment somewhere, then then it would be really interesting. I, I want to add a little something to that because I was going through the question. So, Rich, obviously, you sent me questions in advance, which I really, really appreciate. But then it, it, it triggered something in me. And I decided to obviously me being the prep person that I am. And I actually wrote down some of the struggles in sport is finding a group of people who genuinely care about you. And that's coming from, I sense the community, but also you're still on your own. As as a person who is a contractor, who is self-employed, you know, whatever you are, you are still disposable. And for me, I still felt, even though 
strength and conditioning overall was a good community to be in. I was still yes. on my own. Yeah. Like it, it was almost like we were all on our little um lily pads, mm-hmm. but then there was a bunch of us in this pond. But yeah. then what I found is it's really hard to find people who genuinely care about you because there were so many people who want to see success and they see right. success as net income and revenue. And I feel like that is that is a lot of people in sport, you know, um, that people are willing to step over you for their success. Yeah. And the amount of times that I've been pushed over, railroaded, so they can get ahead, right. Right. it helped me see those individuals for who they are, their ethics, their values, their morals, their priorities, because they're showing me who they are. And mm. instead of me thinking, oh, they're good people because they're coaches and they want to help people. I'm like, well, wait a second, your motivations are devaluing you as a human being. And I don't want to be around you. Mm. And that was a really big lesson for me to learn in motorsport, in life. Mm. Because you think, oh, you're a good person. You're here to help people. And, you know, that's what you're doing. And then all of a sudden you get, yeah, railroaded. And I'm like, oh, okay. So this isn't about me. This is about you and your goal. And I think what that what that ties into for me anyway, and I've, I've mentioned it before on a few other episodes, but say the work uh, Callum Walsh is doing in his doctorate, he's looking at football, but kind of the idea of, of self-preservation because there's such low security within jobs, across sports, of course, some sports better than others, but there's such low security that, uh, and there's, there's, from what I'm seeing anyway, and I've checked this with a, some psychotherapists and, and and psychologists, their perspective anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a wonderful discussions around how does performance sport or has performance sport created a culture of oh, I'm not good enough? So the idea of low self-esteem, low work, low self-worth, which fuels into this self-preservation, looking after ourselves, trying to stand out to get the next role, the next job. And, and I'm not saying that's this course, that's not the case for everyone. But I, I wonder that that cutthroat in a way perspective or and, and the way people are way practitioners you know uh, are kind of trying to look out for ourselves because there's such insecurity and and which to me questions high performance environments you know if all this and this is why i do what i do you know all this underneath the surface stuff that very is very often not spoken about is fueling these behaviors and, and thoughts and feelings and actions because we're just the human part and I don't know, it just made me think of that with the, kind of what you were saying, you know, the idea of that, that cutthroat and walking over each other and then that. Uh, yeah. And it's not and, and, it's not everywhere, of course. And I'm, I'm not saying it's everyone. There's some wonderful people there, but, but I've, this is what I've heard. Yeah. And this is the thing, just to add on to that, it's just saying that even though there was this these yin and yang of, you know, there is a community, but you're still on your own. And the funny thing is, is you know how you're kind of faced with life's challenges. Life is challenging. It's supposed to test you. You're supposed to learn from it, right? So none of this is a bad thing. But what I found is when people were stabbing me in the back or, you know, openly stabbing me in the front, um, what I realized is I softened more. So rather than, and I had my walls up for a very long time, especially personally, I would just focus on my career and I really wouldn't focus on my personal life or friends and things like that. And so it was a, 
like really difficult for my friends to kind of infiltrate who I really am. But then it, what I understood is seeing people's lack of values and lack of morals, it made me soften more because that left me with little to no confidence. Like I didn't really have that much confidence anyway, let alone saying yes to speaking on a podcast. I wouldn't have done this five years ago. I'm not a person who was able to speak up for themselves. Mm -hmm. And then I'm surrounded by alpha males or guys who wanted to be alpha males. (laughs) So then it was like I was being placed in a lion's den thinking I'm a cub, but actually I'm a gazelle. And that's how I felt in high performance. Like, even though I'm saying it felt like a community, it felt like a really niche community because there was still us against everyone else. And then I felt like when I started to stick up for myself in high performance, when I started to speak up, people didn't like it. And I, and I just felt like maybe they felt threatened. I don't know, but it's probably saying more about their lack of confidence than it is about mine because I couldn't do that. I couldn't stick up for myself. I, I didn't know how. Nobody taught me how. Mm. And when I did muster up that courage, I got shut down. Mm. You know, I got picked on. I got outcast. And, and that's not very nice because it reminded me as a kid, you know, every kid wants to fit in, right? Every human being wants to fit in in this mm. life. And I feel like my philosophy as a manager is... I don't want any human to feel disregarded, to feel Mm -hmm. unseen, to feel unheard or Mm -hmm. underappreciated. So how can I do that with my coaches, with the Mm -hmm. team that I'm working with, with my clients? And how can I enhance that in what Mm -hmm. I'm doing? So it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing because I've been in that position. I don't want anybody else to feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't had the conversation yet, but I'm I'm really excited to have a conversation with Carl McCullough. Um, and I sent you, I think I sent you the the piece she wrote on it, Tim, but kind of the idea around her philosophy sounds similar to yours in the sense of people first before athletes, you know, kind of, and, and that, that the culture of seeing the person, mm-hmm. yet high performance is results driven, of course, because of the financial investments from the key stakeholders and all this kind of stuff. And I wonder how you see that, like, you know, because what it sounds like you're really you're kind of describing that, like it's it's this this this. On one hand, I I value the the results driven. Of course, that's what sports all about. And I think so much is getting lost because the people are not being thought about. The people, but the human element is being lost. I think. And I, I'm going to be a little bit controversial here, and I'm going to say say it out as as using this as a platform, and just say people will people are paying a lot of lip service for seeing people first. Right, right, right. But don't just say people first. What are you doing to have that type of culture and quality? Because it is really difficult to go into an organization or a team when they say this is it, but really it's results driven, when it's performance driven, when it's data driven. So it's really going, well, wait a second, do you still stick with your own values and your own morals of people first? How much are you compromising that? Because you still are hired by this team who still have that culture of performance driven. So it's actually saying, well, where do you, how do you align together? Because, you know, for a lot of times we end up 
okay, this the team wants this or they want that. And okay, I can't speak up for myself or I can't put this forward, even though I know it'll be good for the team. Yes, I agree with you kind of for, again from what I've heard in, in the research I did and the coaches I, I work and speak to. You know, you can look at any any company website that says people first and well-being, but it's, t- it's a tick box exercise because what does that really mean? And yeah. so I think, you know, this is where I see it like, which well, segues into the idea of self-growth, self-discovery, reflection, because I don't know where this sits, but unless if someone isn't doing that, if someone isn't, this is not a fault to anyone at all, but if someone hasn't entered the process of truly looking at themselves, I don't think they'll be able to see that. I think they, and this is a, a, my a perspective, my, my opinion, to put on a well-being workshop or a, whatever it's mental health workshop, it's one thing. Mm-hmm. But to, to like you say, like to infuse that into the culture is a completely different thing. And it requires, I think, someone to have gone through their own process of that to some degree to be aware of that all of a sudden. Oh, right. And, and so I suppose what, what is, maybe before we go into this question of what is self-growth to your self-discovery, can you be a bit more specific about the, the, the I guess, the key struggles you, the key struggle you had in performance sport when you're in that high-performance environment what was it? And I suppose linking to the, the podcast that you host, you know, you 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 discuss on there uh, kind of with Kelly, you know, your personal experience of exhaustion, stress and anxiety. And I wonder, was that, wh- where did that show, how did that show up in, in performance sport in, as, you're, as a practitioner in sport? Well, first of all, when I actually got into motorsport, it was more of a six month contract. So it was a very short term contract. So my idea was, okay, work as hard as I can for those six months so we get a contract extension. That was my main short-term goal. I didn't see anything beyond that. So for me, I had already booked a series of holidays and I was a little bit worried that that would actually affect my contract because I was like, oh, wait a second. I've got a few holidays interdispersed within these six months. It sounds like a lot, but it's also just within that six-month period. And I remember Pete McKnight actually saying to me, he was like, oh, you've done really amazing. You know, we for the first six months, it was like work really, really, really hard. And I was, I was working like stupid hours a day, like 15, 16 hours a day. Sometimes like I'd go home and I'd still open my laptop and there was a lot of work to do basically. Like it was a lot of foundational work. And um, after the six months, I remember Pete saying, okay, we've got two year contract. This is amazing. Like whatever you've done in these six months was over and above because that's just who I am. That's just, if you're, if you work for yourself, You've got that inner drive. You've got that inner determination. You've got that focus. So when you're hired to do something, it's always going to be above and beyond. Well, that's how I am as a person anyway. And I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of self-employed people are naturally driven in this way. And so when we had that two-year extension, I remember Pete McKnight on the phone, he was talking to me and he said, make sure you go on holiday, (laughs) make sure you keep going on holiday, because it's obviously good for your well-being. And I agreed. But you know what I didn't do is take that advice. Right. Yeah. yeah. And now looking back on it, because I started traveling with the team and I started having more responsibility with the, with the projects and the team and the health and wellness and, and things were just growing. And I really, I never struggled to keep on top of it. 
because I compromised my health and wellness. I compromised, you know, I was just so tired in the evening. I would just throw whatever was in the oven and eat that. Mm -hmm. And then I, you know, Rich, I don't know if you've been here, but we're working in the gym. People are like, oh, you must work out all the time. And like, you you seriously don't know what I do if you think I'm working out all the time. The last place you want to be. If I'm, I'm, all day. I'm in the gym gear. It's the last place you want to be. Like literally it could have been two steps and I could have done some mobility. Just to, We know how much physical um, activity affects our mental wellness, our sleep. But when it comes to it, okay, I'm just going to have a cup of coffee at three o'clock. Okay, I'm just going to have this sweet treat just to keep me going. Okay, I'm just going to shove that in the oven. And then that ends up having that downward spiral. So it's like, do as I say, not as I do. And then all of a sudden, I'm at this wall where actually one of my friends said to me, and it was the weekend, and my friend said to me, this, like, you can't keep doing this. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm just tired from the week. It was, it was testing week with the race team. And it's just like, it was just exhausting. It's, that's all it is. I just need a weekend to recover. And I began becoming one of those people who use the weekend to kind of just like mong out. And I'm not that type of person. I'm such an outdoors person. And then when I realized this, my friend intervening saying, this is not just a weekend thing. Like you are going to reach the point of burnout. And what I didn't realize is I, I already was like, I just Mm. didn't have any energy. My focus was going, my concentration was going. I was like, trying to grab all of this energy from sugar, from, you know, fast yeah, right. food, from whatever it was. My training had just taken a back seat and mm. I was like, I can't keep doing this. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just such a, a bizarre thing, isn't it? You know, like if an athlete was eating like that, sleeping like that, spending their days like that, we, we were like, well, what are you doing? Yet the environments yeah. require not every environment, but many environments are requiring requiring practitioners to do that, you know. And I think maybe, you know, if it's a training camp, if it is a major competition, maybe there can be some grace for that. But I think if it's that, if that's the constant week in, week out, that's where I just see the, the skew and the, the madness in the myth of what's accepted as normal. Mm. Yeah, get, these are the fundamentals of, of, you know, if an athlete's not doing that, doesn't matter what fancy stuff you do in the gym go and sleep mm-hmm. go and eat properly go and, mm-hmm. go and hydrate go and move rejuvenatively you know like and it just it, for some reason it just it's not seen as an obvious step for practitioners to be given the space time awareness even to like listen come on you've been in six days in a row like go and get go and get some space or how anyway this is just my perspective okay then so you you're describing burnout, you're describing exhaustion, mood changes, kind of energy low. What was it then? Uh, I suppose leading on to, you know, the topics you've, you've, you cover in your book, but I suppose what is self-growth, self-discovery, personal development to you? Because, and I so preempt it. And I, where I fell and or, or, or fell is the wrong word, where I struggled was through my development was solely through the lens of CP, of technical CPD. But I thought that was personal. Development. I thought I was, you know, I'm developing, but it was such a small bandwidth of who I was. And this is such a common story. Too much CPD, not enough me. That was an article I wrote a while ago. And so what, what then to you is, what do you class as 
self-growth, self-discovery? And how did you get to that point? So I feel like it's a really good question, first and foremost, because I was going to add in, you know, in terms of burnout and in terms of working so hard, like it's going to be a tough pill to swallow. But again, I'm going to be controversial. This is this is just how I'm feeling today. I'm feeling good. I'm just going to put it out there. This is why I want this podcast to be like okay. true conversations, you know. Okay. Well, the thing is, what I was going to answer was, okay, I could say, well, you know, this is the answer and this is how I did it. But first and foremost, it's accountability. You know, if we say to our athletes, you know, get the right sleeping, get the right recovery in, get all of this in, we're obviously nurturing that performance-driven outcome, right? But what we're not doing is taking accountability for ourselves. Nobody is forcing us to eat that food, to take that drink, to work those longer hours. Mm -hmm. It's within us or whatever we insecurity we're trying to mask about, you know, trying to prove ourselves or feeling underwhelmed in this profession or, you know, trying to get to that next level of title or, you know, even that world championship, you want those accolades. And then all of a sudden you're thinking, but I'm doing this to myself. And I feel like when it, when I reach that point of burnout, Again, like I said, I didn't recognize it. My friend did. And I was still unable to grasp what that meant. Even for the first few years, I just said near burnout because it wasn't an official thing. Like Mm -hmm. I wasn't really diagnosed with it. So even then, I wasn't taking accountability of what I put myself through. And I can say this now because of everything. And it really does align with your question just to say, well, what was that growth? what does that growth look like to you? And as soon as I started, I'm going to just give a huge shout out to YouTube, basically. YouTube and one of the ladies who I followed, she was doing yin yoga. And for me, I'm like, oh, this is too slow. Like I need to be active. I need like vinyasa or I need something, you know, that challenges me. And then really I was like, no, I just need to move and I need to be still. And for the first six months of me, you know, burned out. What could I do to quieten my thoughts and sleep through the night? Because I couldn't sleep through the night. I kept waking up at two, three, four o'clock in the morning, and then I had to get up at five o'clock. So I, I had to be in the gym. But I chose to do that. Nobody asked me to do that. And as a manager, it's even worse because you're trying to prove that you're a great manager. So for me, I just thought, okay, how do I quieten my thoughts? How do I quieten that mental chatter? So I veered into meditation and mindfulness and it was a struggle like I'm not gonna lie I I just couldn't resonate with it it just mm. try to listen to music try to follow these affirmations try to listen to motivational like stuff on YouTube it just it was a process and then when I veered more into like I would say more spirituality so right. spirituality is like mind body spirit emotional physical resonance mm. And I can say that now because for the last five years, I've been working on it. Mm. And so I can say, look, okay, so what is my emotional body feeling? What is my physical body feeling? I feel like we as practitioners talk about the mind-body connection, but we're forgetting how to apply that to ourselves. And until we quieten that noise, how can we actually understand what our body's trying to tell us? Because our body's storing trauma, you know, and we're going through that. So how can we expect somebody else to understand what they're going through as athletes and as teams? 
I was going to say, I'm just going to interrupt you there. Like you said that we, we, I guess you used a global term to describe practitioners understand them, that the idea of mind and body. But if I talk about my past, when I was a strength, I didn't recognize that. I didn't yeah. understand that. I, and I didn't value that. I saw the body's machine. You tell it what to do, mm-hmm. you know, to, you know, like suck it up type of attitude. And it was only my breakdown and then my journey into spirituality and through mind blowing like you talked about meditation how you didn't it didn't resonate with you and i would say anyone listening to this i i dismissed all that stuff i dismissed it as a load of rubbish and where i sit now or stand now i can tell you and through the challenge of learning it and challenge of just showing up every day it is profound and and the science is there to support that yeah it's not just this whimsical oh you've got to be a master sitting in a cave somewhere in a Buddhist temple, like people everywhere are doing this. And the, mm. I think where it comes to me is like, we all hack, have access to what, to the tool of meditation and what that opens up within each of us. Um, but yeah, sorry, carry, carry on. You're saying No, well, I was just going to add to that actually. And just say, I feel like for me, like having that self growth, having that self awareness, it's understanding that you can be selfish and, selfish isn't a bad thing you know when you say I'm gonna sleep in or I'm gonna go to bed earlier or I'm gonna eat healthier and then you're being bombarded with all these distractions with work or family or friends or you know they're going out like prioritize yourself that is that is selfish but you know what you're doing when you meditate when you sleep well when you eat well you're unlocking within you that energy that you always had so you can go longer. So it's almost like, yeah. why didn't we understand this before when yeah. we're understanding? It's almost like you're unlocking that level of flow. Right. So how can you unlock that level of flow mm-hmm. if you don't have that mind-body coherence? Yeah. Do, do you just say on that, with the reflection you've done, do you see, and I'll give my example in a minute, do you see this, what was underneath that was driving you to overwork or was it you're being swept along by the culture but and i'll say that because for me my reflections what was leading me to do all the things i was doing numb myself through exercise overwork constantly constantly compare myself to other people never feeling good enough was that was at the point i I just did i was such a low self-esteem that i was doing everything i could to to take that feeling away from me so so that was my seat that was what was underneath that was driving me so I wonder what's your experience of that I think it was a combination between two like I went into the industry thinking oh well I know how performance works I know how to unlock all of these amazing things because science says you know have good sleep you know work well have a good um physical activity levels and you're going to unlock performance we know this we know the science says it And then all of a sudden I get swept with that culture of we have to keep working all hours. And even though we're going to put health and wellness as a priority, we're not really going to put it as a priority. We're just, again, like you said earlier in this podcast, it's a tick box. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when I looked at underlying, you know, yeah, there was an element of 
trying to prove myself because Mm -hmm. again, it comes back to, well, there are no females in this position. There were no Indian girls in this Mm -hmm. position. I even got that comment just to say, who did you sleep with to get that role? And that was a massive slap in the face for me because Mm. I'm like, I've worked so hard. I've sacrificed so much to prove what? Because one Mm -hmm. person's comment just kind of belittles that whole respect that say the industry that you're trying to strive for in this industry and then somebody's Mm -hmm. comment could knock it down in a second so it's almost like well why why are we doing this why what was the purpose of that i think um again just to say what i've heard and just keep rubbing some takeaways to the surface like what you've spoken about really is accountability or taking personal personal responsibility through your experience of life rather than They've been in a victim position, like, yeah. right, what can I control? And I think this really ties into what I believe so wholeheartedly that we have to take control of ourselves. And it also, conversation I had with Evie Cascarande, like she is exactly the same type of thing. Like, I need to, we're responsible for our own experience and mm-hmm. we need to put ourselves in a position to to make those choices. And, and she, all came, she came at it from a point of view and Keir did as well, like, one limitation for many practitioners is finance. And what what I mean by that is their job is the only thing and it's it's like this golden chalice. And so they become chained and trapped by this poison chalice in a way because it's all, it's everything. If I lose this job, like, oh my God, I'm not going to get back on. And and so, um, yeah, sorry, trying to diversify. No, I agree with that actually. Just to add in, do you think that that is also to do with identity? So if athletes identify themselves as this is my sport, this is my profession, this is my livelihood, after that, what happens? What happens to that identity? And I feel like as coaches, we pride on us ourselves on forming that identity. I'm a performance coach. I'm a strength and conditioning coach. I, I do this. And that identity, when you lose that identity, who are you? Right. I, I completely agree. That was, I was a strength and mission coach. It wasn't what I did. It wasn't kind of, it, it was everything to me and it was so sticky. And I think what the one realization was when I, when I was thinking about stepping out of sport, all of a sudden it dawned on me, oh no, the reason I'm here is because it's given me some form of completely made up in my own head validation mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. oh, I must be really good at something. And in fact, you know, like it was just my stories and my stories, my attachment to that identity was, is what was kind of keeping me limited. And I was going to give you a quote actually from a lead sport psych that I spoke with them. They said, we're continually concerned about having athletes with narrowly limited identities, but look around and show me a staff member who isn't at risk of burnout and isn't been exploited for their passion and identity. And I think, you know, just to kind of reinforce what you just said, I think it is a big one. Um, And just to add to that as well, like, so in motorsport, it's a very elite um, industry. You know, they're they're at the top of um, Formula One, basically, the the high end of innovation, of research, of science, of the fastest cars in the world, right? So they pride themselves on that. And I remember hearing this is saying, They've got, I'd probably say like about a thousand people in the factory. This isn't all teams, but for example, a thousand people in the factory, one job comes available in the factory. doesn't matter what it is. They'll have thousands of applicants just for that one role. And that threat within performance was 
well, if you're not going to do these extra hours, if you're not going to commit that 110 percent, we'll find somebody who will. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like in strength and conditioning, when you have so many jobs who are then looking for voluntary coaches who look for five years experience, who look for the UKSEA and the masters. And I feel like that was very controversial. I don't know where it is now, but that was very controversial a few years ago saying, why are we lowering our standards to take unpaid voluntary roles for high performance or, you know, I don't know, low wage, because you know what? There's going to be 50 people who are lined up to take that instead, who are willing to undercut themselves. So even if we do think ourselves as high regard, there's going to, there's going to be people in you know lining up who who are willing to undercut and go for that voluntary role. So we're not doing ourselves favors as coaches just to say we need to raise the bar because if we raise the bar at the bottom, we're raising the bar at the top too. Right. And and there is no glass ceiling for how much we can earn. Yes, yeah, for sure. And I think that kind of what that, that's bringing up for me is the idea of success, kind of reaching for certain positions or certain athletes working with or, or achievements within the sport. And I suppose I, I was I was stuck in that objective, observable lens of what success is, which is a part of it. But it can, another question I ask, I'm asking everyone is, what is your specific measure of success now? I love that you answer that because I've only just answered it recently. So because obviously I've finished my book, um, Happiness Within, A Journey of Reflection and Self-Discovery, I take examples in that. And that was, even despite the title, it's called Happiness Within, but I match happiness and success. And I'm constantly asking in the book, what is happiness? What is success? And how can you intertwine those things? And it's really given me this whole new definition of what happiness is and what success is. And I feel like they both integrated. Success to me sounds like, because I, I am very privileged at the moment, you know, I've, I've got a good role with what I'm doing coaching wise. I'm getting more opportunities to present and do different things in the corporate world. But for me, success is, you know, waking up without an alarm, waking up and having that first sip of coffee, you know, being able to prioritize my health and wellness, to be happy. Am I happy in this moment? Like even speaking to you, having this opportunity, there is no way I would have been able to do this as a high performance manager. There was no way. And it's really interesting to think that we're so bombarded with doing things in high performance but then we don't end up reaching out to those people who do need that mentorship, who do need that conversation, who do need to hear from high performance because it's just too busy. Mm -hmm. But then on the flip side, I was like, when you've got that balance, for me, that's success. Mm -hmm. It is about, yes, having that financial stability, having that safety, security, like having it's like Maslow hierarchy of needs, right? Having the, the first few tiers taken care of. And after that, what pleases you? You know, how mm -hmm. are you comfortable in your own skin with your relationships with what you're doing and how you're doing mm. it that to me is success and i think what you're describing in if i had to say it in one word it's freedom a freedom to choose freedom to you know you know and, and that's what i've heard from so many coaches like when they a question i, I ask every coach i work with is um how or and in the research how would you how would you answer this question i want to go this is based on not objective things but, but a sense of feeling i want to go from feeling this of feeling that so that 
And all the answers have come through from based on core feelings, not I want to get this or get that. Like it's based on literally around freedom. And yeah. I wonder how many practitioners feel free in their life, you know, and which then begs the question about, okay, well, it takes sacrifice to work in sport, which again, I do um, agree at certain times. So again, if you, if you take it to a training camp or you take it to a major competition, there's elements where there's a few months there where you're going to be, well, I'm being taken out of my normal life to go to this very special event. Wonderful. You know, it's a world cup or the Olympics or whatever it is. Great. Come back to normal day to day, the rest of the year, what, what is sacrifice? Hmm. And I suppose what, you know, you're describing in your journey, you know, that they're kind of they're working all hours or sacrificing a lot of you. And I yeah. suppose what, how would you answer that now? What is sacrifice to you? And, and I, I invite you to anyone listening, you know, what is sacrifice to you and how long are you prepared to do that? Oh, that's such a great question. Because even when we started, before we started recording, I was talking to you about a story about, um, you know, having this inspiration of going, if it's not a hell yes, why aren't, why are you doing it? And I feel like if I'm at a privileged position where I can choose and I don't need to chase things, how can I be very, um, aware of where my energy, where my focus and where my time and commitment go, mm-hmm. how much freedom I, am I willing to sacrifice? And yes, I've been up at 6.30 in the morning coaching people in Asia. Like that's not normal. It's not an everyday thing, but there's certain days that I'll do it. There's certain right. months that I'll do it. But that is giving myself that opportunity to go, how am I being of service today? How am I, how is this enhancing my purpose? Mm. And is it, how much am I willing to sacrifice? And I feel for me, I've got so much more of a better balance between, okay, I'm, I've now veered off and I've gone more into social media and more into YouTube and coaching execs, but I'm just like, well, wait a second. How can I balance that with going away with my family, you know, taking a Friday off and going to London because it's only like an hour away from me. So I'm just like, I wouldn't be able to have that degree of freedom, but I'm able to go, okay, I'm going to sacrifice the dedication that I still put in my work to then go away on the Friday or I'll work on the weekends because I just feel like I enjoy what I'm doing. I'm loving what I'm doing, but I'm also putting myself first as a priority. So it's, I think it's different when you own your own business. Like you can get a little bit carried away and go, oh my God, I love what I do. And then you end up working all days. And I remember working a few weeks without actually having a day off, a proper day off. So I took four days and I was like, I'm not doing any social media. I'm not doing anything work-wise. And I just went away on the beach and it happened to be one of the hottest weeks in the UK, which is like, greatly planned so we just went to the beach I went with my friend and we were just doing yoga and meditating and just on the whim it was literally like what Mm -hmm. can we do to enhance adventures Mm -hmm. and I feel like that is only um, applicable to whoever's listening Mm -hmm. you know it doesn't mean that you need to spend more time with your family or are you trying to work more because you don't want to spend more time with your family Mm -hmm. because then that could be a thing too right I'm I'm going to work I don't want to work from home because I want to get out of this right right I've heard that overworking is a distraction it's a feeling yeah distracting to be around people and I want to kind of another thing what you're describing really is and and uh Evie 
was super so and actually everyone i've spoken to has been super strong on this like i think that's what's if i had to say already what the differentiating factor is people i've spoken with so far are super clear with their values and they're mm-hmm. super aligned with them their integrity is is super strong and i i suppose my point in saying that is i think my reflections are, i didn't even know my values then when I, for much of my career in sport i mean but, same <laughs> yeah. same and it, even if i when i've started to become aware of them all of a sudden it was like whoa i'm nowhere near this and i think that's what that if anyone is is feeling a sense of oh man i feel stuck in this i'm in this rat run like to to the for me the, the freedom comes from living aligned to your to your align with your values and, and just being integral to that and you mentioned something you're, you're in a privileged position I, I would say that you've created this position you know like you've not inherited it and even if you did you hit you so what you inherited it. it's not your fault however you've created the position that you're in now and i think everyone I i've spoken to has created the position they're in through and it's not been easy but they've they've known what they want they know what they're what's important to them outside of work they know what enjoy they get from work what projects they want to work on and they've worked and align that so they are beginning they actually embody that they're living that yeah and it's so funny because i was talking to my brother about this as well my brother's in the raf and technically he can retire in two years so he is two years older than i i am so he's 41 and he can retire before 45 like how many people can actually say this in, on earth right that's that's a pretty sweet deal so he's done the work you know he's working for the raf and he's you know he's doing his toil he's doing the long hours but we've all done that as coaches. You know, we've we've all had to do unpaid work or voluntary work or put ourselves in positions where we had to start driving to get to work at 4 a.m., 5 o'clock, wherever it was. And I feel like I I agree with you. There, there were times that I would sacrifice a lot, but now I'm in a position just to go, I don't regret any of that. Because actually, if we were yeah, to yeah. ask coaches who are listening – a big question is, if you die today, if you die tomorrow, what regrets have you got? Mm. Because that level of taking away the victim mentality of mm-hmm. going, you get to make a choice. Yeah. You get to make a choice of how you live your life. And a lot of people are like, oh, I've got no choice. I need to pay the mortgage. I need to cut that out. Mm. You have the choice. But what choice. choice are you willing to make? And I feel mm-hmm. like having this position where I'm in now, my brother actually just said, I want to be a position where you are and he will get there where Mm. I'm earning an income, but I'm also doing projects that I absolutely love. Mm. And don't get me wrong. I'll still have that mental chatter of, Oh, you should be doing more. Right. But then it's just like you said, is what are my values? Mm -hmm. What, what am I focusing on? What is that degree of freedom and what am I fighting for? What is my level of success? Mm. So now it's like the icing on the cake because of all those years that has mm. enabled me to get to this point in my career. And, and I'm far from done. There's so much more, but I'm I'm more in the state of surrender of just to yeah. go, let's just see what happens. Let's just see what opportunities come up and miracles mm. arise because I know I've got a whole host of experience and how can I use that experience for the next thing yes yeah i think kind of what, what's coming to my mind is um 
you sur- surrender and to me kind of these situations we put ourselves in and this is me you know like what do i need to I, another way i did like to talk about it is uh, what what do i need to die what needs to what needs to die here for, to free me and that's based around identity based around the story i'm telling myself based around the perception of what i'm trying to the, the perception i'm trying to maintain versus who do i truly want to be and i think the 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 areas that we feel trapped in if you really dig deep there's something we're holding on to that's keeping us in that place and um and i i kind of leading on to it like there's kind of two more questions then um and let's see what comes after that but i think the first one really like leading into your book so happiness within a journey of reflection and self-discovery what would be one reflective practice that you want to share to practitioners or anyone listening that you you feel would be a, a good place to start so for me there's so many little bits in that book um it's not very expensive it's on amazon go get it but the links below the links below but yeah, I'll oh, thank you, Rich. But basically, it's it's just a reminder. I think we as coaches, we're so busy chasing the bells and whistles, and then we forget what are the core foundations. You know, going back to that Maslow theory, it's like, what are your foundations? What are you missing? And for me, one of those foundations is journaling. So when I did feel alone, when I didn't feel a part of a team, when even when I was in high performance and I felt completely alone at one point, I felt completely left out. I felt segregated completely. Journaling was the one thing that I lent on. Now, you could lean on friends. You can lean on family. You can go get therapy. But what I'm talking about is you're allowed to just verbal diarrhea on the paper or on the computer or whatever you feel, but you're allowing that mental chatter to kind of unveil. Whereas if you're constantly thinking about it, people can say, well, I've, I've deliberated it because I thought about it, but what are you uncovering? Because just as you said, Rich, you're, you're not really getting to that deep, deep layer of what's going on. And yeah, some people do need therapy or some people do need that support. And I feel like you shouldn't really put that burden on your family and friends because mm. they're always going to take your side and they're always going to validate your biases and opinions. And they're always going to say, well, yeah, you were right. This person was completely wrong. But until you're actually able to take that accountability and journal, you can obviously put it out on paper, but it's almost like it's that little bit of a release and you're not putting that burden on your family and friends because they're not counselors. They're not experts. Mm. So if you do want to take that next level, go do that. But the first thing you can do if you're not already doing it is write down how you feel. Because you remember, you're not being judged. Well, some people may judge themselves as they're writing it, but I, I used it's to, in a I safe to, space. Yeah, I used to judge myself and I was kind of doing a reflective practice like that. And I would like there'd be this inner critic coming out. I mean, I, I would say on one hand, like I would highly value. I think I'm so grateful for the therapy that I've been through. But uh, one aspect of what I've been through, I've, I've gone through many different processes that maybe I'll dive into deeper in, a, in other conversations or another time. But um, that's one facet. And I would say what you're talking about really is you, you mentioned kind of like the idea of the mind, I think. But what came to my mind is, uh, again, I, I've loved reading about indigenous cultures and, and, and esoteric philosophies and the idea of the mind. I think in the West, we get linking back to the mind-body connection that you said. The mind is home of rationality. It's critical thinking. It's a it's a predictor machine, and so mm-hmm. it's always going to be swapping one thing for another, comparing one thing from another, which drives this overthinking. 
Whereas the indigenous and esoteric traditions, they'll talk about, well, the two, there are two other significant decision makers within our body. You've got the gut and you've got the heart. And so science backs it up now, you know, in terms of how they're, yeah. how they're connected to the brain. And so it's not speaking words, they're speaking feelings. And mm-hmm. so for me, and which is often the hardest decision, if someone like, oh, okay, I need to leave this job because it's not right for me or I, whatever it is, relationship. The truth is a feeling I feel a lot. Well, for me anyway, my experience would be maybe I feel lighter when I think about a, a decision I need to make and I feel a sense of lightness or I feel a sense of heaviness contraction. Mm-hmm. So if I'm feeling a sense of lightness, oh, right, that's a, that's an indicator for me. Okay, that might, most often not, it, it's an easy decision to make. However, it might be a hard decision to actually act and follow through because it means speaking some truth. And I wonder, yeah, like it just made me think of that, what you, what you said. No, I really, I really agree with that. And just to add on to that, I feel like right at the beginning when we said that there is a disconnect between people's feelings, emotions, their heart led and their gut led. And the the funny thing is, is life will throw you a kind of like a floating device, mm-hmm. you know, just to go, look, you're in, you're, you're in a bit, a bit too deep here. Here's a flotation device. And then you kind of ignore it. And you're like, I'm fine swimming on my own. And then something catastrophic will happen. And it could be a death of a loved one. It could be you lose your job. It could be something. But that's life just going, look, you're not freaking listening to me. I'm going to throw you this so you have to change. But what you're talking about, Rich, is, and and I feel like I'm doing the same thing, hopefully, is going, do that before the bad thing happens. Because then when that does happen, because it will happen, you'll be able to cope with it that little bit better. You won't you know, attach your identity to it. You're going to have the tools, and this is what I talk about in the book, to manage life's challenges because they're going to come no matter what. But instead of being surprised by them and then having to go through this forced challenge and evolution of your body, mind, and soul, it's like, invite it in. How can you be better prepared? And isn't that what we're doing with athletes? We're giving them the preparation in training, in pre-training, in camps, so they can do what they need to do when they go into competition. Why aren't we doing this for ourselves as human beings? How can we better prepare for life? And I feel like that's what meditation does. It's not sitting there and chanting om. It's going, whatever difficulties arise in you in that silence what how are you going to cope with it in the outside Mm. world and yeah and i i agree it's not meditation it's not about being zen and calm and chilled it's about oh it's a bit of a hell it's like i found it's hellish sitting (laughs) in the fire of emotions and being with it and and this might sound alien to anyone who's not done it but it's not like it's about how do you how do you sit in that fire and, and choose a different way rather than reacting to how you normally do. And kind of what, again, coming back to that place, taking personal responsibility and, and, and linking it with, with Evie, particularly around the idea, what it sounds like, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of the differences, say, and the challenges that female coaches are experiencing. Evie was, it was talking around, like, she still feels it, but it, we need to, we need to take personal responsibility and what, what do we want to stand for? Where, what environments do we want to be in? What environments don't we want to be in? And I wonder, would you, yeah, does that, would you agree with that? Or like in the sense of, yeah. In terms of choosing the environments, is that what you mean? In terms of say the nuances and the differences between, you know, what you, you touched on a few, I guess, you know, you mentioned a comment where someone said, oh, did you sleep with someone to get to that job? Mm. 
and the perceptions of male and female coaches, male and female struggles with kind of the different differences. And I think you touched on it as well. And because you, from right and saying, remembering you said because you're a female and you're Indian, you felt a higher pressure to achieve. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, which from all you said, it kind of you still come back to, oh, I need to take it, be accountable here. I need to take responsibility from from my experience. Yeah, I've never really put my ethnicity or my gender as always something that I need to overcome because I'm so driven and determined and hardworking. Like that's just how my parents have brought me and my brother up. So I feel like only when I was made aware is, you know, like sometimes you're like, what, I'm Indian? (laughs) What, I'm female? Because there's nothing differentiating us from anybody else. Mm -hmm. It's just part of who we are it's not who we are Mm -hmm. but what I felt is there are going to be especially in high performance but there are going to be people who are very stereotypical right they're they're Mm -hmm. hiding under a mask and they're not probably going through these inner reflections or inner awareness of their heart and gut and what the what what they really should be doing and they're going along with what they feel success is money power sex usually the biggest things in this world but i feel like if you're able to speak honestly be vulnerable create a space where you can find these shared experiences i feel like that will help you as a person as well as a coach so it's almost like people will, just as you said earlier, people will sacrifice certain things to be in high performance. But then it's up to you to go, well, how long is this period, is this phase, season going to be? Mm -hmm. Because I was speaking to another female coach and I said, how's it going? She's in, you know, a very big position working with the Olympic teams. And she said, it's great, but me and the physio don't get on. Like, her physio, the physio of the team and the manager get on really, really well. So we know it's all about relationships, right? It's not always about what you know and your experience. But she was like, but the thing is, I'm not being heard. So this is the SNC coach now saying, well, I'm not being heard. And because they're being chummy with the management, they're always going to take each other's side. So it's almost like saying, well, how much more are you willing to sacrifice to be in that environment? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be male or females. This is just about what are you willing to compromise? And even she said, I'm going to be looking somewhere else to get this level of experience. So for her, it was always about getting into the Olympics, getting the gold medal, you know, going to that four-year cycle where you get to walk in that, you know, welcoming ceremony and now that's not as high for her Mm. so it's just going well when you get there when you get the kit and when you get the world championships and you get all of this and you realize it's not all bells and whistles (laughs) then what so it's going Um, well actually are you in a safe environment what are you willing to compromise what are you willing to do rather than just being too busy to prove your worth and mm. have that as wasted energy describes what you're describing about her her situation again to me it sounds a bit like that self-reservation like you know and i think that that's what that's what i mean the untapped potential all this human stuff is getting in the way getting the way that's completely normal but like that's what i mean by the untapped potential that's what i've been in in most high performance environments that think high performance this stuff is just these anchors holding what what true collaboration could be not in every environment of course and there are some exceptional environments out there as well but I think that I would say generally a majority are being held by these human things. So what if 
what if each of us began to work on ourselves and brought yeah. this to the table like that's well that's that's a powerful environment when when all, more okay. many more people become self-aware in the same environment wow i mean i've experienced that in my my marriage you know kind of like we've got our stuff we're working through our stuff of course and and we still any relationship to go you know there are there are there are really important challenges that come up because those challenges are either going to break something or they're going to allow two people to grow and come together more and that's my experience of it like and i i see you know whether it's a relationship whether it's a high performance environment like there's there's some amazing growth that can happen that then leads to such amazing outcomes yeah and i think overall it's just like how can you keep unlocking your power and i don't mean power in a superficial way i'm just talking about energy you know Mm. if we're talking about being in the state of flow if we're talking Mm. about how much energy have you got to give you know you've done a 12-hour stint for example in high performance and then you go home and you have no energy for your your partner or your children or whatever it is it's just like well how how much are you willing to sacrifice and suppress your own power because we are all powerful individuals but i feel like we don't realize how powerful we actually Mm -hmm. are and until we understand that until we delve deeper into what we're able to give in this world Mm -hmm. then you're like well it doesn't really matter about the title or it doesn't really matter about this it's actually going what am i doing for myself because we've only got one life let's be honest like what are we chasing (laughs) yeah right 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 i completely agree and I, i yeah I think I think having that lens, so we're looking through that lens more often is a useful, a useful tool because it gives a bit more of a for me anyway. I, yeah, that's helped me a great deal. I suppose I kind of you've you know covered loads of ground and loads of good discussions. Is there anything else that you you wanted to bring up or discuss or share today? I I don't think so. I think we've covered quite a breadth of uh, content for this coaching. And um, yeah, thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak my truth and go off on a tangent on certain points too. <laughs> great, that's great. And so, well, tell us a bit about your book and then where people can find you. Yeah, so Happiness Within, A Journey of Reflection and Self-Discovery. It's more about my personal story. So I remember actually, you know, self-publishing it and um, it's on Amazon, it's worldwide. And I remember thinking, oh crap, people are going to know a little bit more about me than I actually reveal. Um, So it is more a case of here's my story, here's the science behind it, and here's some practical questions and tools that you can actually use so it's very much a um a storytelling research-based um workbook i would say and so that is available worldwide on amazon so if you literally just search my name or rich said he would put a link in the description box below but yeah that's just a it's a it's a it was a journey it was definitely a journey and I still feel like there's more content in me. So I'm working on my next manuscript, but um, yeah, yeah, it's just, uh, again, it's a privilege. I-, I get to do this, which is amazing. Great. Great. Yeah. All the links below to your Twitter and Instagram and website as well. So um, thank you. if you, if you, if you want to check it out, then, then just go below and you'll see it. So yeah. And if thank- you want to connect with me, please do. Or if you've got any questions, like I'm happy to um, get in touch on LinkedIn and things like that. So Thank you so much, Tuls. Thanks, uh, Rich. See you soon. See you soon. Bye.
Thank you for listening to this episode. I just want to remind you, if you did enjoy it, if you're taking some really good takeaways from this podcast already, I want to encourage you, invite you to leave a review on Spotify or iTunes. Your action of doing that is directly going to help this podcast reach more practitioners that need it.